great joy to uh, be with you today. So thanks all for those people to come to pray for me. It's a great encouragement as we, uh, we prepare to speak God's word. You may I recognize from my accent, I'm not from around these parts. <laughs> I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. <laughs> I bring greetings from Trinity School for Ministry that brought you the great Father Prescott and uh, Gary Beeson and many other wonderful members of this uh, congregation and this uh, diocese. This is before that I was living and working in, in London. I was a rector of a church in West London and it's uh, just a joy to be here uh, ministering with you today. Let's uh, bow our heads again and just uh, pray for God to, to speak to us through his holy word. Father God, we do give you thanks for this day. We thank you for this congregation, for this church, for its witness. And thank you for your word. We pray now that you would speak afresh to us. Give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and the will to respond to your call. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Some years ago now, uh, when I was living back in London, I was watching a television program I used to enjoy. It was called It Will Be Alright on the Night. It was kind of a compilation of little videos where something had gone embarrassingly wrong. Of course, in the hands of a great uh, comedian like Dennis Norden, who did this program, a great deal of material for humour. But one of those little video clips has haunted me ever since. And I think it must have been taken at a talent show of some kind. A young woman walks onto the stage with her guitar, and she sits down and she plays her song, which I think she does very well. It's only when she gets to the end of her song that she realizes something has gone horribly wrong when she hears the applause behind her. In her anxiety, this dear woman had sat with her back to the audience. When she realized what she'd done, needless to say, she scurried off that stage pretty fast. And I suspect that moment haunts her to this very day. But I think the reason that story kind of resonated with me for so long as I came to realize that, you know, is a parable of life to so many people. They go out into their world, they do their thing, and they may do it very well. They go home, they get up the next day, they do their thing, and they go home, and so it goes on for days and years. And they do it with their back to the audience, because the true audience of our lives is God. Now, I dare say from time to time, there's no doubt that a young woman must have experienced herself, you come sometimes think something's not quite right here. I bet even when she was playing that song, she must have thought, it's awfully dark out there. Why can't I see an audience? Maybe she heard a few people coughing behind her now and again. But somehow the penny didn't drop when she got to the very end. But I think there's something about that image which has helped me to think about what Jesus was doing as we see the inauguration of his public ministry here in that great gospel reading we've just heard Gary read to us. And it's really a message of Jesus going around amongst these people there in those villages uh, in Israel, realising that they were living with their back to God, for whom they had been made, through whom they had been made. And this great ministry was to go and call them back. And then, of course, he calls disciples to get involved with this great ministry of calling people back to God. And I do think that really lies at the heart of our gospel reading. So that's what I want us to focus our thoughts on today and to see how that speaks to us and to our own call in our own lives. So let's hear again that uh, early couple of verses from Mark chapter 1, 
verse 14 and 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So the time is fulfilled. That's firstly called a reminder that this was the particular time in which God was going to fulfill those promises to send the Messiah. The Son of God had taken human flesh to himself through the Virgin Mary. And this was the generation that was to have this great visitation of God, long awaited, the day the patriarchs and the prophets had longed to be there for. This was the generation that would see it. But more specifically, we'd seen that John's John the Baptist's ministry had just come to a sudden conclusion. He'd been arrested and was about to be beheaded. So it meant that Jesus had finished his work of preparation. So this was the particular moment when Jesus, baptised, been through that period in the wilderness, John was now arrested. This was the moment for his public ministry to be launched. This was the moment. Long awaited, generations had waited for it, and this was it. God was back in the world again in a new way. And I think that's why we go on to hear this amazing statement, the kingdom of God is at hand. God's kingly rule. The king is back. The prince of peace was walking the earth again. That was the message that Jesus went around proclaiming there around Lake Galilee. It's an extraordinary message to preach. He's going around saying, I'm back. (laughs) The God who created you, for whom you were created, guess what, I'm back. Believe it. Believe that in fact you were created to be part of a kingdom which is just and gentle and peaceful and good and it lasts forever. Don't let your eyes deceive you. The current crisis is a passing crisis. I am your true king and I know you and I love you and I'm for you. Absolutely transformative. Maybe to help us get our own minds around this a little bit, I want to go back to that story of the young woman playing the guitar with her back to the audience. And I want you to put yourself in the audience that day. And that young woman is your daughter or your sister. Now, how do you feel as she sits there playing with her back to the audience? Don't you just long to get up there and say, Turn round, let's try again? I know how hard you prepared for this day and I know how much is at stake. Turn around and have another go. That, I think, is something of the heart of God. As he looks out on all these wonderful people he's created. I think that's not, that's not the life I've made you for. I've created you for myself. So we see something of the passion of God revealed in Jesus Christ as he goes around these villages seeing these people and thinking, this is not what it's all about. You're caught up in your daily crises. And you don't know that your Father in heaven is with you and for you and listening to you. Bring him your problems. Seek his daily wisdom. Don't try to do this thing on your own. That's not what it's all about. So the kingdom of God is at hand. So what does he say they need to do? Repent and believe the good news. It's turn around. It's not, please get your act together. Remember the Ten Commandments, I want to see you do them all, and then I'm going to come help. He calls us to turn around. He knows we're in a mess. He knows we're in trouble. He knows it's not supposed to be like this. And he comes to get us back. 
Some people describe it as a Copernican revolution. I was a physics teacher once. It's nice to get the word Copernicus in occasionally. <laughs> but you know, the great transformation there was you go from a world in which we, we thought everything revolved around the Earth. People began to realise it probably makes more sense to think of our solar system going around our sun. Well, that's the kind of transformation we're talking about. Rather than a world that revolves around me and my plans and my kingdom, it's a world that revolves around God and his plans and his kingdom. Guess who's got the better plans? But it does involve this surrender. It does involve letting God take us and make us who he wants us to be. And there's a risk in that. You've got to believe it's true. You've got to believe that God is for you and not against you. Because we're told constantly that God's against us. Don't you realise he's a killjoy, they tell us? Tells you not to do the things you would enjoy. Tells you to do lots and lots of the things that you won't enjoy. No, it's not true. He is the very author of joy. There is no more joyful being in the universe than God. And he has created you for joy. You've got to believe his word over the words that we are pounded with day by day. Who's telling us the truth? Can we trust this God? Or we're going to trust the other messages that we get day by day? Such an important part of the life of the church that we constantly witness to the truth of God's word. That we hear it, we proclaim it, and we live it. So the time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, believe the good news. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus then goes out and calls disciples to himself... And he sends him out on this same mission that he's on. And at the centre of that call is, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. So he's been called, and he's fishermen, who speak in their own language. He's got Simon Peter, Andrew, James and John. He's calling them to himself and he's sending them out. Follow me. Another way of describing this call to come away from a world that's centred on you and your own desires and your own purposes and plans to one now re-centred on Jesus and his purpose and his plans. Got to start there, and I will make you fishers of men and women. I'm going to send you out on my mission. It's not just about you getting turned around, it's about getting the whole world turned around. There's plenty of fish in the sea. <laughs> Need lots of people out there fishing. But what we see here is that something of the qualities of fishermen are going to be needed. You need to be courageous. These fishermen had to go out on these little boats in the night and they knew they might be hit by a storm and the storm might be fatal. They knew that. They had to have the courage to go and do it and do it again. And there is an element of courage about being witnesses for Jesus, especially as the secularism continues to rise and looks more intimidating. But there's also a patience and a persistence you've got to have to be a fisherman, which is why I'm not a fisherman myself. I don't have the patience for it. But you've got to be persistent. One study carried out by a chap called John Finney discovered it takes an average of four years for someone to come to faith in Jesus. It's a long time. Four years. People need to hear it, think about it, see what it really looks like, and decide, is it really true? It takes a while. So we've got to have congregations that are friendly to people who are seekers, who are wondering, could it possibly be? There is a better kingdom to come. This isn't it. So you've got to be patient. But we also need to have a sense of timing. 
obviously the great skill if you're going to do well fishing, you've got to get the right bait in the right place at the right time. When the fish are there, that's why they've got to go fishing at night. You've got to be there at the right time. Again, that's so important for us, to realise the timing of God. And many times when we're trying to share our, our faith with uh, friends and family and colleagues, part of the challenge is knowing, well, when do I say something? You've got to build a relationship. You've got to get into a genuine place where they know that you love them. You're trying to share something with them because you think it's good for them and it would increase their joy and not take it away. It's knowing that timing, seeing when God is bringing to the point and say, well, are you ready yet? Are you ready to plunge in? Are you ready to begin the big adventure? The sense of God's timing. I'm reminded of an event, I've got to get on an aeroplane this afternoon, perhaps that's what brought it back. But I was flying back from Dallas-Fort Worth a few years ago, Dallas-Fort Worth to Pittsburgh. The announcement went out, our flight was to be delayed by an hour and a half. And just at that moment, a man came over me, clearly a Texan, he's wearing the, uh, the Stetson, even I can recognise one of those now. And he said, there's a woman sitting on the floor over there and she's crying. So I was wearing my collar, you obviously recognised I was uh, in ordained ministry. So I went and sat with this woman on, on the floor there at um, whatever it was, you know, gate D8, Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. And we just sat and we got chatting. And there she was, weeping away. And it became clear that she was weeping because she was angry. Angry because her brother had died. She was very angry with God about that, leaving teenage sons behind. She was the godmother, didn't know what to say. But she was also angry because she was having a very bad day left a bit late for her 10 o'clock flight, got caught speeding by the police, missed the flight completely, she'd lost her glasses, she'd lost her cell phone, and frankly she'd also lost her temper. They had to call security on her when she was venting on one of the representatives of her airline. But she'd been out trying to get the 10 o'clock flight, it was 8.30 in the evening. I was on the last flight back to Pittsburgh and she wasn't. She had plenty to be angry about. Well, we got talking about these things. My father died about the same age that her brother had. We got talking about that. There was a connection in it. And I'd just been preaching a couple of weeks earlier about anger, fun enough, at our local church. There's a sense of God's timing. This woman was ready for the gospel. It was such an amazing conversation. And she said she'd been to therapy and that had helped a bit, but frankly, not a whole lot. She knew that she was still overwhelmed with anger. Let's call her Lucy that everyone knows I'm angry Lucy. So I had a book with me that I've been reading. It had a lovely prayer of surrender in it. I said, well, what about praying this prayer, asking God to take your life, turn you around, and get you started in a new direction? Showed her the prayer. I was, she read it through. I said, have you ever prayed a prayer like that? She said, no. I've been going to church for some time, but never seen that kind of prayer. I said, would you like to pray that prayer? And she said, no. I was so surprised. She was so absolutely desperate. I thought the offer of God's help might appeal to her. But you know what she said? She said, if I pray that prayer, I don't know who I will become. Today I'm angry, Lucy. Who will I be if I pray it? Very spiritually perceptive. So I said, well, you're welcome to take this book away. Maybe some other time you might want to pray that prayer. But I said, if you like, we could uh, pray it together. Oh, she said, I'd like that. No idea why she'd like that. Anyway, she did. So we sat and we prayed that prayer together. We had to move gate one out. Maybe it's, Dallas, maybe it's gate D10, was it? 
that was Fort Worth. If you were on that flight, you'd remember it. It's a very public event. Lots of tears, lots of drama. We sat down and we prayed this thing. We prayed that prayer together. And we said some other prayers. And she stood up and she looked at the airline representative. But she told me later, she was going to go punch her out. <laughs> that woman owes me, you know. That woman, we'll come back to it. Anyway. So we got talking about it. And she stood up and she looked at this woman. She said, you know, I don't feel angry with her now. I feel compassion for her. And you could see a bit of a glow on her face. The spirit of God was coming on her. You could see it. And he started sort of bouncing up and down on the ground like this. It was like a whole burden had been lifted off her back. Well, she gave me a big hug. She hugged the man behind me in the line. He was very surprised. <laughs> I remember he was a computer programmer, an Indian, Indian guy just heading back to Pittsburgh to get back to work. And he took it very well, actually. But she said, I don't normally go around hugging strangers. I said, that's probably quite a good plan, actually. So we were having this conversation, and uh, clearly God was at work doing something deep about this anger. Please don't think this happens every time, friends. This is an unusually dramatic transformation, but it shows you the power of God. So I said, I think you need to phone your husband and tell him what's going on. She'd already been on the phone to him earlier to give him the good shouting at, she told me. <laughs> well, she had all day long, plenty of time to vent the anger. <laughs> anyway, I said, I think you need to phone your husband and let him know what's going on. And she phoned him up, and the rest of us were getting on the flight back to Pittsburgh, and she wasn't, I'm afraid. And she said, I'm just talking to my husband, as we were leaving it. She said, he thinks I'm drunk. <laughs> I said, you better read Acts chapter 2. This, this kind of problem's happened before. Well, I'll tell you that story, not to give you the impression this happens all the time. I wish it did. But to say, I was privileged to be there at the moment when her time came. Her life was clearly being transformed right there. I bet her marriage got transformed by it. I bet she could be a better godmother now. All because God came and relieved her of the burden of anger. Now, there are different things that eat us all up. Different things that stand between us and the people we're supposed to be. And God wants to turn us around. As I say again, it's not normally quite so instant as it was for angry Lucy. But it is just as definite nevertheless. Talk to people who've been Christians longer than you have. Hear about these things. Let them speak about what God has done in their lives. Because I want to end by really offering us a chance to respond to this message that we've been thinking about. Don't we need this power in our lives? I know I do. If you think about yourself in this story, I mean, do you identify with that woman who was living with, or at least at that particular moment, playing with her back to God? It's very easy to live with your back to God. Most people do these days, and they recommend it. Maybe that's been your story all your life. You've never really lived day by day as if God was there for you and there with you. Well, he is. He's here. The Spirit of God is back on the earth. He is for us and not against us, and he wants us to know the forgiveness of our sin, all those things that are wrong with our lives. He wants us to know a purpose in our lives, and he wants us to live with a hope for the future. That's what he wants for us. So maybe you've never done that, or maybe you did it years ago. I did it when I was seven years old. And again at nine, and at other times 13, other important times in my life. 
But maybe for you it's a time you have to say, well, really, I am now, again, living with my back to God. I live day by day as if there were no God, truth to tell. I don't start out each day saying, well, God, what do you want me to do today? That's the life he's calling us to. Not what do I want to do today, what do you want me to do today? It's a whole lot better that way, you know. So I'm going to say to you, when we come to this time of communion and you come up to the, the rail here, if you'd like to do so, or if you prefer to go to the, um, the prayer stall for the uh, healing ministry, you can just raise your hand like that. And I'll be available here, and others will be available at the prayer area to say a special prayer with you. What I'll pray is that you know the forgiveness of sin, that you'd be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you'd follow Jesus faithfully all the days of your life. Let that be a time of re-consecration, or for the first time, putting yourself back in the hands of God. Where better? Take that chance when you come to communion. But I also want to say there is a call here to be involved in this mission. As we see, these uh, disciples were even called to leave their nets and follow Jesus. And for some of you, that may be the call that's coming home to you today. Time to leave your net and follow Jesus. It doesn't say that to everybody. But maybe you are being called to leave the life you're currently in, to go perhaps get trained to do mission work overseas or to be engaged in ordained ministry in this country or elsewhere. Maybe the Lord is calling you to something like that. And if so, I encourage you to talk to the clergy here. Test the call. See if the Lord is in it. Don't think, well, he, he can't be calling me because I'm a sinner. Well, who do you think is going to call? We're all sinners. <laughs> but we need to have sinners who found the Saviour. People who have repented and believed. People who have come to follow Jesus so they can help other people follow Jesus. That's what it's about. So we're not all called to leave our nets. But we are, I think, all called not to trust in our nets. That's the word, I think, to all of us. So maybe what you need to hear today is you don't need to trust in the nets. You can trust in God for your provision. Seek his provision for your needs. Ask him for your daily bread. Don't let your final, res your final security lie in what you've got here. Have your final security in God alone. And enjoy the good gifts that God is blessing you with, but don't trust in them, trust in him. So I want us to have a chance today as we come to this rail to again seek after this God who is seeking after us. To find afresh the forgiveness of sin, to consecrate ourselves again, to follow him wherever he calls, and to live lives that mean that many turn around and find the love and joy of our God and follow him all the days of their life. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. I want to offer a prayer of repentance, a prayer of surrender or re-consecration. If you'd like to make this your own, just uh, echo it back in the quietness of your own heart. Just allow the Spirit of God to touch us as we sit before him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus at just the right time. Thank you for his love for us. We thank you for his good purposes for us. We thank you for the hope he wants us to have 
Forgive us all those things that stand between us and you. Fill us today with your Holy Spirit. And help us to live together to your glory. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.